We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. With all of the negative stuff that's in the news on a daily basis right now, I'd like to focus on something positive on today's show. And that positive thing is that we are the United States, not the divided states, and that there are things that we can unite around. There are first things that we can hold dear and agree upon. There are self-evident truths that bind us together. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. With all the garbage that's going on in our culture right now, I decided to try to focus on something positive today. I mean, we all get worn out. And I fear that sometimes I err on the side of wearing you out by my continual focus on the nonsense, the lunacy that's taking place on a daily basis all around us. The collapse of our economy, runaway inflation, international threats, China, Russia, Ukraine, the Middle East, drag queen events in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, of all places. This debate in Oklahoma right now as to whether or not we should be funding, giving $40 million to the University of Oklahoma Children's Hospital when they continue to promote transgender ideology to minors. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Political disputes. The the implosion of our educational system. Buying into critical race theory, critical theory. Marcusean ideology. Neo-Marxism. The lie of Black Lives Matter claiming to stand for the dignity of the human being when they actually degrade human beings. They dumb down the definition of what it even means to be human to the point where even on their website, they say that they believe in queering the nuclear family and dismantling Western patriarchy. I've talked about all of this. But on today's show, I'd like to, within the context of all of that, yeah, that's all negative, On today's show, I'd like to remind you that there is a solution at the end of the day. That while everything's unraveling around us, that there is something that can and always has brought us back to true north. And that's a belief in first things. First things, otherwise known as self-evident truths. Truth with a capital T. That truth is true even if no one believes it, and falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. That truth is true, and that's just the end of it. That's a quote from Oz Guinness. You've heard me use it before. That when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, he is saying there is a way, there is a truth, and there is a life. And those things aren't subjectively defined by you or me. They're objective realities that are revealed by God. That likewise, when our founding fathers tell us about self-evident truths, that we have unalienable rights, and those rights and those truths are not made up by a government. 
They are actually given to us by God. That all of these things, these first things, bind a people together, whether or not they live in the United States or Great Britain or any place else on the surface of the earth. These truths are natural laws, laws that can't be defied any more than you can defy the law of gravity. And that these truths will ultimately win. That's a positive message, not a negative message. So after we take a break, I want to zero in on the positive nature of unity being bound together as a United States, not a divided states, a united people around some pretty basic things that aren't all that difficult to understand. And the confidence that we can have that in the end, like gravity, gravity always wins. You can't defy it. You can try, but it always wins. So in the same manner as gravity can't be defied because it is a truth, it's a natural law, it's a law that exists regardless of whether or not you like it. In the same manner, truth will always win. We can try to defy it and ignore it and change it with our lies. But in the end, we can have confidence that truth wins. That's the nature of today's show. That's the topic that I'm going to talk about. So let's take a break, and when I get back, I'm going to start out with a quote from Ronald Reagan back in 1975 in an interview that he granted to Mike Wallace. It's a quote that all of you will remember as soon as I cite it, but it's the context for today's show. We'll talk about the great communicator and what he was trying to communicate, what he was trying to tell us. It was very prescient and almost prophetic in in its content. Reagan was a very wise man. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So I said I'd start out with this quote from Ronald Reagan, 1975. He told Mike Wallace this. He said, if fascism ever comes to America, it will come in the name of liberalism. It's a famous quote from Reagan. If fascism ever comes to America, it will come in the name of liberalism. Now, you know that I've played with this word liberal. In my book, Why I Am a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas, I argue that the conservative today is really the classical liberal because we believe in liberty, we believe in freedom, and we fight for that. Reagan would have agreed with that and did agree with that. So when he talks about liberalism in that quote, he's not talking about classical liberalism. He would agree that the classical liberal, the liberal of history, the liberal of the liberal arts university, for example, was a person that believed in human dignity, human identity, and human freedom. What Reagan is doing here is he's using the nomenclature, the the language of our time. He could have and maybe should have said progressivism rather than liberalism. But in 1975 especially, the word progressivism wouldn't have meant much to people. So sometimes you have to adopt the language of the day to make your point. And at that time, 1975, liberalism was running amok 
liberals had abandoned liberty. They were becoming fascists. And Reagan was warning of that. That was his point, that classical liberalism is being lost at the hands of neo-fascists. If fascism ever comes to America, it will come in the name of liberalism. Ronald Reagan, 1975. And I'm arguing that it has come. It's come waving banners of trigger warnings and microaggressions and safe spaces on our college campuses across the entire United States of America. Ideological fascism rather than academic freedom. You must submit. You must agree. You must comply. These are the, 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 the shouts that we hear from campus to campus across the land and not just college campuses. Okay, I've said before, what's taught in the classroom will be practiced in our culture. This stuff has left the college, and it's in our courts, and our Congress. It's in our culture. It's pervasive. This is the very foundation. This is the soapbox upon which Black Lives Matter stands. The drag queen story hours. LGBTQIA, SJW, BLM, CRT. All of this alphabet soup nonsense stands on the platform of this ideological fascism of you must agree with us, you must submit, you must comply with everything we think, with our acceptable bundle of ideas, this fascist of ideas, this bundle of sticks that's bound together so tightly that it can't be broken and we will crush you if you try to disagree with us. You'll be silenced, you'll be expelled. Now C.S. Lewis told us in God in the Dock, one of his classic works, that if you put first things first and second things second, if you put first things first and the second things are thrown in as second things, you'll get the first, you'll get the first, and you'll enjoy the second by default. But if you reverse it and you put second things first, you'll lose both, the first and the second. The issue here is simply priorities, and that's the good news, priorities. If you get your priorities straight and give truth free reign, truth will win. John Richard Newhouse, he said in his publication, First Things, that, and here's the quote, one must never underestimate the profound bigotry and anti-intellectualism and intolerance of illiberality of liberalism. So he's challenging the same thing that Ronald Reagan was challenging. The illiberality of, uh, not classical, but contemporary liberalism, otherwise known as progressivism. It's a compromise of first things. So here's my point. America should, should be about first things, not second things. It should be about the exceptional rather than the common. I mean, when we talk about common core, I always had a big beef with that because why would you want to be average? Why would you want to be common? Wouldn't you want an exceptional curriculum rather than a common one? This, this issue of exceptionality, wouldn't you want an exceptional nation rather than just an average one? You'd just be like everybody else around you. Take down your borders. Don't, don't act like America is exceptional. Well, that's baloney. That's garbage. We... We should be more concerned with ethics than information, for example. 
in our schools, and in our public debate. The issue is ethics, not just more information, not just Googling more stuff, but finding the ideas that are right and just and true, those few important ideas that have stood the test of time. Hang on to those. Teach those to your children in your schools, to your progeny. America should focus on how to acquire more morality rather than just more money. Bugs me that our educational establishment seems to be focused on just careers rather than character. How to earn more money rather than to be more moral. An educated person should be dedicated to pursuing truth, not just protecting your opinions. You should understand the difference between love and tolerance. That you don't send your wife and I tolerate you card on Valentine's Day or your anniversary. Love is not synonymous with tolerance, nor is tolerance synonymous with love. We should be about things that are first, and we shouldn't be content with those things that are second, is my point here. Again, to paraphrase Lewis, why would we want to be content with making mud pies in the back alleys when we can actually have a holiday at the beach. The holiday at the beach is the first thing. Sitting around in the mud in the back alleys and thinking that's the end-all and be-all of human existence, of what it means to have fun is crazy talk. So my point in today's show is that we should be about promoting unity rather than division. Unity is a first thing. This divisive rhetoric that we hear every day on the news is a second thing. Oh, there are things that divide us. I mean, clearly we're different from one another, and we should celebrate those differences within the context of the first thing, which is unity. But when we put the divisions as our priority, everything is lost. The second thing has become first, and the first thing is lost along with the second thing. Because celebrating diversity becomes animosity and anger. It's divisive, and that's where we are as a culture. The beauty of unity of the United States is that it is grounded in veritas, truth, veritas, truth. I mean, our universities are called that for a reason, Una. Versity, una verity, una veritas. It's unity around the truth. We don't call them diversities. We call them universities, right? A truly liberated person recognizes that there's a common cause that binds us together, a common cause of, of rightness, of personal righteousness, not divisiveness over our personal rights. There's a difference there. Righteousness versus rights. Righteousness is a first thing. Our rights are second things. Selflessness rather than self, that would be another example of first things versus second things. If you're selfless, you get the second thing of a healthy self thrown in to boot, but if you Focus on yourself all the time, you don't get either. Likewise, if you focus on your personal rights all the time, rather than personal righteousness, both things are lost. Again, get the thing in the right order. Our national model, for example, is e pluribus unum, out of many one. We don't say out of one many, right? We don't reverse that, e 
pluribus unum. It's not e unum pluribus. That's bad Latin, but you get my point. It's veritas and virtue rather than vindication and vengeance. It's about pursuing what's good rather than being satisfied with what's safe. Now, Lewis also talks about when we reverse the order and focus on second things, we get neither the first nor the second. He talks about that. It's essentially this point. It's a biblical point. Only by dying to self can any human being ever find true identity. It's a paradox. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Behold, the old is gone. It's dead. It's gone. And the new has come. You've been born again because you died to self. It's that paradox that we find in Scripture. First things first. First things first. Priorities. I'll say it again. Only by dying to self can any human being ever find true identity. You don't find your identity in race or gender. It isn't found in your personal grievances or some sort of narcissistic infatuation with yourself. The Bible tells us that we're neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. This is the language of St. Paul. He's telling us that the body of Christ does not even acknowledge these distinctions of Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. We're one in the body of Christ. We're human beings, and our selfless unity in Christ is the first thing. Selflessness and unity. Today, when you hear all of these professors and these politicians and these media pundits blabbering on, and, and sometimes even parents, parents blabbering on about all of this divisive stuff, all of the self-focus. We're not doing our next generation any favors. We're doing them great harm because we're encouraging them to fixate on the second things rather than the first things. Richard, John Richard Newhouse warned about all of this. He called it ontological dys dyslexia. Ontological dy dyslexia. He said it brings only, quote, profound bigotry and anti-intellectualism and intolerance and illiberality rather than true classical liberalism. We end up with cries of microaggressions, trigger warnings. You offended me. We end up running from a good debate rather than toward it. Exclusion seems to be the rule of the land rather than inclusion. We actually start embracing segregation again rather than celebrating integration. But, but I don't mean to belabor the problem. There is a solution here. That's the good news. The good news of the gospel, if you will. It's the good news, essentially, that William Wilberforce focused on in his Am I Not a Man campaign where he fought for the abolition of the bad, he elevated the good. The Imago Dei, the image of God. Am I not a man? He reminded everybody that black people are human beings. Just because they have a different color of skin doesn't mean anything. He reminded everybody 
by asking the rhetorical question, is this person not a man? He focused on unity of what it meant to be a human being, not the division given to race or gender or social status. He focused on unity, not division. And he forced the British culture to deal with the first thing. And what was that? The dignity of all men and women. He didn't allow them to continue to fixate on the second thing and get distracted by the sins of division, diversity, resistance, retrenchment, revenge, that are always, those things are always the consequence of idolizing the second thing and elevating it over and above the first. Mark Gallo said this in a 2017 issue of Christianity Today. And I'm not that fond of Christianity Today as a publication, but this is a good article. 2017 issue, Mark Gallo, G-A-L-L-O. He says this, The problem with identity politics goes even deeper than disunity. It encourages me and others to notice what is passing away while failing to notice the reality of what will last. One more time. The problem with identity politics goes even deeper than disunity. It encourages us to notice what is passing away while failing to notice the reality of what will last. In other words, identity politics focuses on the second things, those things that don't unify us, those things that divide us. And as a result of focusing on that, our identity, our divisions, we missed, we missed the first thing of what actually binds us together. He goes on and says this, Given human nature, a fixation on identity seems to inevitably degenerate into judgmentalism and division. Identity based on common interest, experience, or even conviction cannot enable one thing that Jesus is most eager for us to do, come together in unity, come together in unity in him. So even basing your identity on common interests with your neighbors or experience with people in your little clique, you know, common interests with your gender or your race, for example, what he's saying is that it cannot enable us to be unified. That identity politics will continue to divide us. And Jesus expects this one thing, that we come together in unity in him. Fixation on diversity, he says, has produced a generation of liberals and progressives narcissistically unaware of the conditions outside of their own self-defined groups. Identity liberalism has failed us, he says. National politics in healthy periods is not about differences. It's about commonality, close quote. The power of commonality, here defined as the binding unity of holding first things first, self-evident truths endowed to us by our creator, natural law, true north, truth with a capital T. Seeking truth from outside of ourselves rather than thinking we are the source of it. That's the first thing. He goes on in his article to say this. 
as we keep reading the New Testament faithfully, this, real, this reality sinks into us more and more deeply. As much as we take pride in our social, economic, gender, and many other differences, we'll keep coming back to the most amazing thing about each of us. We have died with Christ, and it is not we who live with those various identities we're so proud of, but Christ who lives in us. That's our glory. That's our identity. This is the beauty this is the beauty of unity, univerity, univeritas, university, unity around the most important things, unity around the first thing. That's why Christ himself is called the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. That's why Jesus calls himself an alphabet, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He, he defines truth. He spells it out. He is the alphabet. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with us, and the Word was God. That, that's the start of the Gospel of John. St. John is telling us that there is a truth with a capital T. There is a Word with a capital W. That Word has been eternally existent. And it has lived among us, Emmanuel, God with us. And he shall set his people free. There's freedom in that first thing. That is the positive message for the day. These negative things don't do anything but shine a light on the need for the first thing. And if we approach the daily news that way, we can see the problems, oh, they're, they're replete, too many to count. We can see them, but it's the truth, the flashlight, if you will, the torch, the beacon of truth that allows us to understand that those bad things are indeed bad, and a fixation on them and them only is not going to solve the problem. It's only going to divide us further. The good news is that we can turn around and look at the source of the light that's exposing the bad, and that source is not us. It's not our opinion. It's not our power. It's not our offense. It's not our individual identities. No, the source of that light that exposes all of this junk in our culture is the true north of God's revelation, those self-evident truths that are as powerful and irrefutable and undeniable as the law of gravity. We just need to stop fighting it. Don't fight the law of gravity. Recognize that it's there. Use it to your advantage. It can set you free to do a lot of good stuff. But if you ignore it, it can actually destroy you. Likewise, the power of the good news of the gospel that's grounded in truth. Truth is true even if no one believes it, and falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. Truth is true, and that's just the end of it. It brings unity if you live within the context of that truth, that first thing. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.